It's time for Let's Make Kids Books, where you'll learn how to easily create, publish, and sell your own children's books today. Whether you're just getting started or want to increase book sales and attract more readers and fans, you're in the right place. And now your host, children's book author and founder of letsmakekidsbooks.com, Bo Blackwell. All right. Well, I'm excited today to be joined by my friend Balaji O. Um, he is a fellow children's book author. Uh, he has a series of books called Brave Little Heroes, which is really cool, and I really enjoy checking them out. They're exactly the kind of books I like and <laughs> uh, you know, enjoy reading to my kids. Um, great stories and great artwork, and it's all very fun and exciting type stuff. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. Thanks for being here, Balaji. Oh, thanks for having me, dude. This is a real thrill, and I appreciate it. I've been checking out your work as well over the past few months, so kudos to everything you've been able to build. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. It's It's been fun. I, you know, It's something I only got into maybe five or six months ago, and I'm amazed where it's taken me so far. So how long have you been uh, writing and, and self-publishing children's books? Oh, okay. So self-publishing, probably a couple of years. Okay writing probably since I was a kid mm -hmm. and that might be common for a lot of writers mm -hmm. um, I didn't go into writing as a 10 year old looking to you know, make money online I don't think online existed back then I didn't even have the concept of being self-published I just knew that I loved words and stories and Bo, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up a little bit of a shy kid, a little bit of an introvert, <laughs> oh, yes. okay? <laughs> oh, yes. I don't know if you can identify. So, you know, books really not only gave me sort of an escape, but they allowed me to fill the, fill the shoes of these really amazing, mythical, heroic people and allowed me to see myself as greater than, than perhaps I was in real life. And for a shy kid, sometimes, you know, I felt like that's all I had to hold on to. So I really uh, got dialed into story from a very young age. And I guess writing just was a natural progression of me really enjoying the stories that I was immersed in. I, I had a very, uh, my mom would say, overactive imagination. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, what kind of stories were you into? What was the type of stuff that, that really got you going and that as a kid you really identified with? Oh, man, you're taking me back now. Well, let's see. I discovered comic books pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up in Nigeria, and Nigeria is very closely related to England, so we had a lot of British stuff, um, some British comic books, but I also had the American classics as well. Um, very early on, I was arguing Marvel versus DC ah, with my yeah. friends. <laughs> you know, I, I ended on the side of Marvel. Me Sorry too. To all right. Out there. All right, well, all right. I'm with you on that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, book-wise, I discovered um, C.S. Lewis pretty early on. The Chronicles of Narnia. And that book, that book series, really just changed my perspective on how, how an author could paint this whole world that didn't exist and make it feel completely real. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, those books, those were the first page turners that I ever read. You know, I started reading these chapter books at a pretty young age, and I just could not put them down. So there were several other books that I read as well, but I think probably the combination of the, the uh, comic books and the um, C.S. Lewis type books were really good as well. I didn't start reading J.R.R. Tolkien until I was a little older, mm -hmm. um, but I'm very much a big fan of those as well. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, those were uh, the Chronicles of Narnia was one of the first ones I remember really, you know, being a big deal for me. And, and I actually didn't read Tolkien until college, even though I loved fantasy novels and stuff. But um, and for me, the other big kind of children's book illustrated stuff that I loved was uh, Asterix and Tintin. Oh man, you had you had Asterix too? Yeah, because well, I lived in London when I was a kid for just oh, for a year, and so that's okay, where I discovered okay. it and fell in love yes. with it. Yes, so. <laughs> Asterix and Tintin were both really big. Yeah, uh, in Nigeria growing up. So oh, sure. that's awesome. Yeah, so. You know, you said you've been writing since you were a kid. How did you decide, or at what point did you decide it was time to take the plunge and, you know, start putting your own books out there and really make a go of that? What what prompted that, really? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I I would write these stories as a kid, but at the same time, it was always just sort of self-expression, kind of a hobby. Most times, no one ever read those books, okay? <laughs> and so in the meantime, both my parents happen to be doctors, and they're both first-generation educated. You know, my dad grew up in a village. His dad was a, a small-time farmer in a village, had lots of kids, and my dad hated manual labor, so he studied really hard <laughs> at school, ended up getting scholarships throughout, and so my parents really emphasized education. And so when I and my siblings came up, as we grew up, we knew that, okay, we had a lot of choices in life, but first and foremost, we were going to get that bachelor's degree and we were going to get that master's degree. And if my parents had anything to do with it, all their kids would be doctors as well. <laughs> and after that, then we could go do whatever we wanted. Well, I kind of rebelled early on. I, I studied computer science in undergrad because um, this was a, a few years before the internet became popular. But the Apple IIe was, was really big and uh, the Atari and Commodore 64 and all these gadgets were really big. So I got into technology. Um, and that really helped me to become an early adopter of things like the internet and Amazon and so on. Um, I didn't seriously see myself as a self-published author until a few years ago. I have a couple of sons. The old, my older son is six. My younger son is three. Uh, when my first son was born, I started to tell him stories. I told him stories first that my parents told me as a child. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I've lived in the U.S. now for over half my life. And my wife is from the U.S. as well. So we really wanted to make a concerted effort to um, teach our kids Nigerian culture. A lot of the great things, the beautiful thing about experiencing multiple cultures is that you can take the best things from every culture. Sure. Right? <laughs> so we wanted to share some of the stories from our my Nigerian heritage. So I started telling him a lot of stories. And you know how kids are. If they find something they like, they latch onto it. And then you just got to, like, for the next 20 years, just do that same thing. <laughs> so I, had to, I, I remember telling my son a bedtime story, a two-minute bedtime story one night. Little did I know I'd started a lifelong tradition. So henceforth, I had to tell him a bedtime story every night. And every night, I soon ran out of the stories that I knew from my childhood. So I had to start making up characters mm. and telling new stories. And the stories got more and more and more elaborate to where, <laughs> like, three months in – we have this never-ending story that I'm like, I should probably write this down at some point. My wife, she really pushed me. She gave me that push. She's my better 90%. I always say she gave me that push. She was like, you need to write this down and get it published. And that sort of coincided with the timing of Kindle mm -hmm. becoming really popular and Amazon self-publishing becoming um, available to the masses. So I had these stories. I had the means of getting them out into the world, and that's how I became a self-publisher. Very cool. So, for you, because I know this that was a um, this was a, a process for me was figuring out the technical side of, of self-publishing. I mean, since you were, had a computer background, did that come easier, or was it a bit of a struggle? Because I know for a lot of people, they're kind of intimidated by the formatting and the you know the technical aspects of it, even though it's probably still a million times easier than it was a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, the technical stuff, I still do not enjoy the technical stuff. And regardless of my technical background, I actually struggled as well. I'm more of a creative person, so I really enjoy the creative process. But the technical aspect of it, I really wanted that to just go as quickly as possible and to have a professional output. So after struggling with it for a while, I ended up just looking for people who are good at it and having them do most of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would advise, I kind of learned that as an entrepreneur and an author, just because you're able to do something doesn't mean you should actually spend your brain cycles <laughs> and energy doing that thing. You know, writing in and of itself can take a lot of your creative, it can take your energy. So I've found that whenever I, I have a limited set amount of energy, whenever I direct that at something other than the creative process, I end up feeling dissatisfied with my creative output. Hmm. You know, I might not end up writing for that day, or if I do write, it might be a lot more difficult. Um, one of the things that I've picked up, I, I really have 
gotten into studying a lot of sort of self-development stuff. But you and I were talking about hacking. You know, we're both right. parents. <laughs> and we're you know, kind of kidding about how there's probably a way to hack parenting because there's so many, you know, we parents, more often than not, we feel like we hope people don't realize we hardly know what we're doing. <laughs> That's <laughs> an know? understatement. But, yeah. yeah, but, you know, there's so many different conflicting things and you have to think on your feet. And we were like, you know, what if we could just hack parenting and figure out the 20% of things that if you do those things, you don't have to worry about the rest of the stuff. You, your kid will turn out pretty much okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I think it's similar when you become an entrepreneur or an author publisher. Even though there, there's 100% of things you could be doing, if you do it all, you're not going to do anything well. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're likely already a gifted writer if you're listening to this audio or watching this video. So keep on honing that craft. Even though you're gifted as a writer, I had to actually learn this myself, Bo. Even though I, I am talented, I have innate talent as a writer, I'm not as good as a C.S. Lewis, a J.R.R. Tolkien, right? A Stephen King or whatever genre you might be. I'm nowhere as good as those guys yet. So I could either rely on my inherent ability and stay at that level right stay as good as I was when I was 10 years old or I could keep practicing that writing Hmm. and if I'm gonna focus on practicing that writing there's the other stuff that needs to be done but probably shouldn't be done by me at least not all the time sure yeah that that totally makes sense and I mean that kind of plays into the whole idea of mastery that that Robert Greene talks about or Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours that you need to put in to become an expert and and yeah, that makes sense. If you know, if you're gonna spend a couple hours writing and then ten hours formatting or whatever it might be, it's gonna take you a been lot there. longer. Oh yeah, I've been there so many times. Um, so what all do you outsource to other people now? Do you? I assume you probably work with an illustrator, unless you're yeah. multi-talented and can do the artwork as well, which I can't. So I always hire I an illustrator. Mean, I draw a mean stick figure. <laughs> Outside of that, no. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have an illustrator. Do you have like one person that you work with or a stable of different illustrators or how do you kind of find an, an illustrator to work with? Yeah, particularly being children's authors, the illustrator takes on a magnified importance because with kids, the pictures speak to them as much as the words do. So I've been at this for about three years, um, and I started my search for an illustrator on Odesk. Mm -hmm. For those who aren't familiar, Odesk is a wonderful website where it's a marketplace for talent uh, around the world. And I went there looking for an illustrator. I ended up going through a number of different illustrators. It's cool, though, because you can look at people's portfolios, and you can even get them to draw a sample of your character for you before you actually lock into a relationship. I've probably hired four or five illustrators over the past three years. Uh, A couple of them ended up being the ones that stood out based on not only their artistic style, but also how well they got along with me. Mm -hmm. That's really important. one of my my uh, mentors, people that I look up to, is Walt Disney. You know, probably the same for a lot of folks who are uh, in the children's niche. And as I studied Walt Disney's life, I realized that as gifted and talented as he was, he couldn't have done nearly as much as he accomplished if he wasn't surrounded with equally talented people in other areas. Mm-hmm. His brother Roy was, you know, a financial genius and kind of um, the one who brought in the common sense whenever <laughs> Walt had these outlandish things that he wanted to do. Walt usually did them anyway. <laughs> and Roy had to clean up the mess behind him. And so, you know, I found a couple of illustrators. Now, I boiled down those four or five people into two illustrators. I have a primary one and a secondary one, mm-hmm. and I've been working with them full-time for a couple of years now, and really, I could not do what I do without them. They are invaluable. They now define the, my visual style, yeah. right, because I'm not an illustrator myself, so I create the stories, I create the characters, and these guys really help me bring them to life. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And it's funny you found yours on Odesk as well, because that's exactly where I found my oh, no way. Yeah, my illustrator that I work with. and. Yeah, it was a similar thing, and anybody who's not, you know, who wants to get a book they've written illustrated, but is freaked out by the idea of finding an illustrator, just 
give Odesk a try. Um, you'll be amazed at the quality of people you get and the price that yes. you know that you can find them at because it is it is totally international. Um, but yeah, you made a great point about needing to find people that that work well with you in addition to just being talented because that seems to me to be kind of the the double-edged sword of being able to work with people around the world is that some people don't end up being reliable and when you have a 14-hour time difference or you know communication channels that aren't necessarily super reliable it can take a while to find out that they're not going to deliver or that kind of thing so yeah it it is a big vetting process to find the right person yeah I, i would suggest also there are a few other websites that folks could check out so you could check out fiverr Fiverr is a good place. It's a decent place to start because most gigs are on there for just $5. And so you can end up having a your brand new character um, developed for 5 bucks, right? You could check out somebody's art style for $5. Mm-hmm. Um, you might even be able to get them to draw you know, each page in your book for 5 bucks or, or maybe 10 bucks if the pages are a bit more detailed. So particularly if you're just starting out, if you're on a limited budget, Fiverr is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, um, there's another website as well. My uh, artists, just coincidentally, happen to both be in the Philippines. The Philippines is great because um, typically uh, folks there are very educated. Um, they speak English really well, even though they might have an accent, um, but they speak really good English. And so you get a lot of really good skills for a lot less than you might pay for those skills in a western country like England or the United States. Um, So your your dollar really goes far in the Philippines. Onlinejobs.ph is a great website where it's just for people in the Philippines. You might have to pay about forty dollars a month to list a job and I think what I did is I paid the forty bucks I went on there, I listed my job, and then you know I canceled after one month. But I, I actually found my second artist hmm. through onlinejobs.ph. So that's worth checking out as well. Yeah, that's a great suggestion for sure. Um, I know some people use Elance as well, although it seems like Elance is maybe uh, there aren't quite as many artists on there as there are you know more like programmers and stuff but it's a similar kind of idea and you know it, it definitely seems like uh those all those sites are well worth checking out because you never know who yeah. you're going to find and like you said you can get a, a huge range of portfolios to check out and find somebody whose style you really like yeah that's yeah. cool so then do you also have outsourced um like formatters and people that that handle that aspect of it as well i do i do yes i tried using various software and the software works of course Uh, some are easier than others I had challenges because a lot of the software wasn't necessarily designed for children's books and so they it wasn't as easy to do the children's book layouts to putting all the images in there and things of that nature Um, so one of in my case one of the gentlemen who created a piece of software ended up working so closely with me I just told him okay look I know your software can do this stuff for me, but I'm pulling my hair out, so why don't you just do it for me instead, and I'll just pay you. You know, So depending on where you are, if you have more time than money to spend on the project, you probably want to do a little bit of research, find uh, software that looks easy to use, and go ahead and invest in some software. Um, but if you don't have as much time, and you'd rather just pay someone to get the result quickly, it really can save you a lot of stress. <laughs> it yeah. can move your project forward more quickly because just being an entrepreneur in general, I've found that whenever I hit a roadblock that I don't know how to solve, that can often uh, just stump my entire project for months you know, <laughs> yeah. over something so simple that somebody else would have fixed in you know a few hours Mm -hmm. so it can be worth it to have somebody else an expert come in and handle your problem for you yeah that's that's great advice for sure and yeah i think um i'm sure there are a lot of aspiring authors out there who've run into that where they um you know they want to do something and they have a big desire to put it out there but they one little you know stumbling block or roadblock comes and and it, it seems like it can snowball into other things like it becomes writer's block or whatever you know if you let it go for too long that's true so in the three years that you've been doing this how many books have you have you released now um in your children's book series yeah that's an interesting question i probably have i have about 12 books completed Mm -hmm. now i have half of those books published to amazon so six of them 
Uh, I haven't published the remaining six because when I first started out, I was really more focused on publishing. And so I wrote the books, got the illustrations done, got them formatted, and I was so excited, I just threw them out there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yay, I'm published. My books are out there, you know, <laughs> hello world sort of thing. And the market, by the way, has been evolving. Um, Amazon is sort of the center of the self-publishing market today. Uh, they're the 800-pound gorilla. They're not the only marketplace uh, or the only way to get your books out there, but they're the main one. And so the Amazon marketplace has been evolving. A few years ago, there wasn't as much competition. Not as many authors had discovered Amazon. Um, and so you had a better chance of being discovered once you put your book out there. Mm -hmm. But competition has increased steadily as more and more authors are pouring in, as the process becomes uh, easier to the point where now it's not enough to just put the book out uh, and hope that Amazon will see it and highlight it to your audience. You actually have to drive some traffic to your books first, get some reviews, make some sales before Amazon says, oh, okay, this book is moving, let's give it a little bit of a boost. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, you know, after my first six books were sort of just pushed out there and, you know, kind of hoping for the best, um, the remaining six books I've decided to actually launch. And so for those of you who maybe have done marketing online for a while, you might be familiar with the term of launching a product. But essentially, launching a product, in case you're not familiar, uh, has to do with knowing who your audience is, letting them know a product is coming out, getting them excited about the product. Apple does this brilliantly, <laughs> right. right? If you bought any Apple product, whenever you see Apple come out with a new product, they don't do it like other folks. They make it a huge launch, and they get these lines outside of Apple stores for people just waiting to buy this product. Imagine that. So wouldn't it be cool as an author to have people lining up waiting to buy your product? And so that's why I, despite my excitement at creating these books and wanting to share them with the world, I've decided to be a bit more patient and to launch each of those subsequent books. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially because, you know, even with the way that Amazon works, um, they they certainly will reward you if you make a lot of sales in a short amount of time. And so that model makes a lot of sense because then you can actually hit the Amazon bestseller list and it builds momentum and becomes, right. you know, kind of uh, plays off of itself. So how would you go about launching? What does a launch kind of look like in, in something like the children's book world, which is kind of you know, different than uh, <laughs> maybe a, a marketing product launch or something like yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so if you're going to launch a product, the most important thing is to really know who your audience is first and foremost. And I've got to admit that I didn't necessarily do research. Let's frank, I didn't do any research when I first <laughs> got started. I liked children's books. I knew the genre of children's books that I enjoyed the most. And so I pretty much just wrote the books and put them out there. I was almost writing them for myself and for my kids. Okay, mm -hmm. And that's actually okay because my, I and my kids are part of a particular target audience. But after having put a few of the books out there, I then stepped back and said, you know, I should probably have you know, a picture of who my audience is, who's reading my books. Um, marketing folks might call it a customer avatar. Mm-hmm. So I stood back and I said, okay, let me figure out who, who I want my customer avatar to be. Now, knowing that, I figured first the age range I wanted to write for. And my age range was ages 6 to 12. That's what I picked, but it'll differ for every author. And my genre is fantasy fiction and superhero books. Hmm. So everything I write will be in one or the other of those camps. So I said, who's going to be buying these books? The interesting thing about children's books is that the people reading the books often are not the people buying the books, sure. yep. right? And yeah, that's totally. a challenge. You're writing a book for maybe an eight-year-old. Well, he or she is not going to be the one shelling out the money most often. It's going to be their mom. And I did say mom, not dad, nothing personal, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> but moms make, I think, about 80% of the buying decisions in the home. Mm -hmm. And then we dads just take the credit for any good stuff that comes with that. <laughs> right. but, um, so I figured, you know, maybe my customer avatar should be a mom, not a dad. Okay, so now I'm getting more specific. And so one day, I actually just sat down and decided to draw out a picture um, of what my customer avatar looked like. And I borrowed from some of the, the family, friends, 
whom had already purchased my book and, and loved my books. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, you know, Stacy liked my book and Jennifer liked my book and, you know, Jacqueline liked my book. So I kind of took bits and pieces from their lives and created my customer avatar. Okay, so now that I have a customer avatar, my avatar, by the way, happens to be named Stacy. And she's 42 years old. She is an elementary school teacher. She has three kids. She and her husband are great parents, um, but they're often busy. They're a two-income household, so they're often really busy. And so they kind of worry because when they spend time with the kids, they're able to pass on their values. But the kids are getting so much time self-managing. Mm -hmm. They're playing video games. They're watching TV. And so Stacy and her husband just kind of worry about how well their kids can handle themselves in social situations when the parents aren't there. Aha. So by painting that picture for myself now, my books have to be a solution for Stacy's problem. I also did some research and I found that moms tend to have a lot more stress even than dads do, simply because I think dads were were a lot more comfortable just letting stuff go <laughs> yeah. and it's like okay you know as long as there's no blood there's no foul you know fortunately god made moms <laughs> so <laughs> our kids will actually survive childhood right uh, but so moms you know worry about a lot more things they multitask more they worry about a lot more things and so i said if my books can in some way uh, relieve stress for straight for stacy or assure her that while her kids are self-managing reading my books they're actually being nurtured Ah, Stacy will want to buy my books even more. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now this is all in the framework of your question, Bo, which is how do you launch a book? So now I know who my my customer is. I know what some of her main concerns are. Okay, I need to know where to find her. Yep. Okay, because it doesn't matter how great my product is if I can't get it in front of her. So in my case, I said, okay, where can I find moms? Where are moms gathering? Particularly, maybe moms who are school teachers. So I started with Facebook. You know, almost everybody online is on Facebook today. And I said, let me go look for some Facebook groups that either cater to moms or cater to school teachers. Most school teachers, by the way, happen to be uh, women. So I could look for groups that cater to school elementary school teachers. Um, I also decided to look at LinkedIn because a lot of professionals list their information on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, even offline, I started talking to family friends. Um, who fit my profile a little bit. And in fact, about a month ago, I sent out an email to 10 moms that I know. And I said, hey, ladies, you know, you guys know about Brave Little Heroes. This is where I am right now. I'm trying to do a better job of reaching moms. Where can I find them? Mm. And, you know, I thought it's funny because a lot of times we sort of have an answer in our heads but these moms were able to give me insight that I never could have come up with. And lots more doors were opened up once I actually reached out and asked for help. So all that is to figure out where I could find my customer avatar. So once you, you know who your customer is, what they want, and where to find them, now you've got to create your product and put it in front of those people. And so I'm actually in the process right now of systematically putting myself in front of audiences of moms. Mm -hmm. I could do that um, offline or I could do it online. So for example, uh, this opportunity with Bo is a wonderful opportunity for me because I'm sure that some of you watching are moms, right? And have kids that fit in that six to 12 age range. And so you might, you might learn more about Brave Little Heroes just through this casual chat that Bo and I are having. Right, And that now allows me to have an opportunity. Instead of me coming to you and saying, hey, buy my book, yeah. right? not knowing who I am, you actually get to know a little bit about me first. And if you kind of identify with some of my values, some of my backstory, that will make you much more likely to want to check out my book. So you guys could also do the same thing. Regardless of what genre within children's books you're targeting, if you figure out who your audience, your target audience is, figure out where they hang out, try to put yourself in front of those audiences. And all of that comes before the launch. Um, both Bo and I worked, have worked in the uh, internet marketing um, uh, industry in the past. And we both know that if you're going to launch a product, you have a, mo a lot more success if you do something called pre-selling, right? And pre-selling yeah. basically means before you actually try to make the sale, you introduce yourself to the audience and you let them know, hey, I know about your problems. 
maybe I've experienced those problems too. This is maybe one way I've solved those problems. This is another way I've solved those problems. And then by the way, I have 10 more great ways to solve those problems in this product that's coming out next week. So if you can pre-sell before you launch, if you can do interviews like this, do guest blog posts, right? Um, or if you're in a forum, interact in the forum so people know you. When you now say, hey, would you like to buy my book? Folks are almost, they're buying a relationship with you more so than buying the book itself. Because let's be frank, there's so many books that people could buy on any given day. I've got to give you a, 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 a quote or a number that I heard recently, Bo. Mm -hmm. This is from Seth Godin. He's my favorite business author. And Seth Godin, in an interview last year, he revealed that over 41,000 books a day are published wow. every day. Oh my 41,000. <laughs> That's the competition, folks. 41,000 new books every day. And so in your target audience, maybe it's just 5,000 or even 1,000 new books. But that's every single day. The only way to stand out in a meaningful way is to have a relationship with those folks first. And so when you talk about launching, that's why I have six books completely done sitting on the back burner right now because I want to go out and build a relationship with these audiences of moms. And then I can say, oh, you know that problem you're having with your daughter being bullied at school? I have a book for that. It's coming out next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you have it. Well, it's funny because that, that was how I wrote my first two books, I guess, were um, issues I was dealing with as a parent with my kids. Um, so my my first uh, my first book I wrote, but that actually was the most recent one to come out, was called The Morning Grumblies, and it was because my daughter was waking up grumpy every morning. <laughs> I love and that book. I was getting really tired of, uh, you know, her being grumpy in the morning, and I thought, well, what, what advice could I give her in a fun way that's like more interesting than, you know, stop being so rude in the morning, <laughs> uh, since that doesn't go over very well. Um, and then the second one was the the night who wouldn't sleep, and it was for my little boy who uh, at the time was two and was uh, didn't want to stay in bed at night and wanted to ask for a thousand things. So yeah, I totally approached mine from what. What problems am I having that my books might solve for myself uh, and then for other people as well? But um, and that's great. that was last night in my actually the past couple of weeks in my house. My three-year-old has been waking up in the middle of the night and coming into my my wife and I's bed, mm -hmm. and he he's strategic about it too because <laughs> he won't do it thirty minutes after bedtime. He'll wait a few hours when we're in bed. We're knocked out. We can't resist, and then he climbs. <laughs> so we wake up, we're like, what is this little person doing here? So yes, I need to pick up your second book. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, to, to your point about so many books being published um, every day, I, I know for some people that hear that, they might, you know, take the glass half-empty half view of it and say, well, you know, if in children's books, if there are even a thousand books a day being published or whatever it might be, but like, why bother? You know, how are you ever going to stand out in that level of competition? But to me, I think the important thing to, to take from that is not, oh my gosh, it's so competitive. You could never make a dent. It's that, um, you have to be willing to take more action than the other 999 authors. Right. And, right. and honestly, most authors don't, you know, they, yeah. they do what, you did with your first few books and really what I did with with mine was which is to just put it out there and say hey everybody please like you know make me famous now right. you know? Um, and it's just not a reality and I mean I, I don't know that that was ever a reality because in the past you were having to compete to get the attention of traditional publishers yes. against a thousand other authors that were submitting their manuscripts so it's not that that's changed but personally I feel like you it's a good thing because you have a lot more control over your own destiny and you can if you're willing to put in the work to market your book both before and after it it launches you can stand out in a crowded field but um you know you have to be willing both to keep putting out more books to give yourself more opportunities to do that but also to to put that work in to build a customer avatar like you did which most people you know don't take the time to do that so well said very true yeah very true. So, um, obviously, if you've got six more books lined up, you kind of got your <laughs> your future planned out a little bit. But, um, you know, what are you 
What are you doing um, specifically kind of to get in front of your target audience or maybe to do other things with your book, like building your mailing list and that kind of thing? What What are some of the tactics that you're using to, to try to build up that um, that launch model that you're using? Yeah, yeah, yeah really good question. So the, there are a couple of bits I want to unpack in your question there. First, in terms of getting in front of my audience, I think uh, building a mailing list, as you just alluded to, is so important. Um, for those who might not be familiar, most people will be, having a mailing list pretty much means getting people to give you their name and email address, and you store that email address in an email autoresponder service. Aweber, for example, is a popular one. And that enables you to email those people whenever you like, at will. And you can either send spur-of-the-moment emails or called broadcasts, or you can actually schedule emails. Those are follow-up emails. And I've been doing both. So we can talk a little bit more about that. But suffice to say, a mailing list is super important because once you get those people onto your mailing list, it's almost like owning a store and having a customer list. And you can send your product catalog to that customer list whenever you like. The problem, the danger uh, of not having a mailing list is that you're relying on, say, Amazon. And Amazon is, they have a customer list. They have your customer list <laughs> yeah. if you're selling books through Amazon, right? Because whenever somebody comes and buys your book on Amazon, Amazon gets their full information and can contact them at will. But you can't. Amazon does not share that information. Very stingy, Amazon. Very <laughs> <Yeah>. stingy. <laughs> that is very unfortunate, yeah. Yes, and so you really do want to be building a mailing list. Um, so we can talk a little bit more about the mailing list topic. It's very fascinating. Uh, but in term there are probably two main ways to build your mailing list. The first is to pay for advertising. So you might know where your audience gathers. Let's say Facebook, which is a very popular place. You could pay for ads on Facebook to be shown specifically to people that fit your demographic. Facebook is wonderful for letting you target your ads. Now, if you don't have a, a real budget to work with right now, or you don't feel really savvy with uh, Facebook advertising, you, you might be a little bit intimidated. It's not that complicated, but I can understand that. Another way to go is to actually look for people who have an audience uh, that fits your avatar and try to get in front of them for free. Mm -hmm. So as we've talked about, Bo and I have talked about in the past few minutes, you could do uh, podcasts. Look for people with podcasts that cater to your audience and send them an email. Tell them what you do, what topics you talk about, and offer yourself up as a guest. People with podcasts are always looking for guests. You could also do guest blogging, okay? So same thing, people who own blogs that cater to your audience are always looking for more content. Your job is simply to convince that individual that you're able to add value to their audience. If you can convince them of that and you pre present yourself in a professional manner, you're in there for free. So that's a really, that's probably an easier, at least a more affordable way to get yourself in front of that audience. Uh, and building your mailing list really, once you get them in front of the audience, say for example you give them a, a podcast interview or a blog post, you want to then invite them at the end of that to opt into your email list. Usually what people will do is they'll offer something free. So you might, let's say we're in the children's book niche. So um, here's like a, a sneaky uh, hack. We talked about <laughs> hacking earlier, right? A, a hack is not a negative thing. Uh, it comes from what, programming language, mm -hmm. I guess? Yeah. But it basically means a, a clever shortcut, an ethical clever shortcut. So here's a hack for if you're a children, children's author and you want something free to offer to people to get their email address, you could take the illustrations from your book. Let's, let's say you have colored illustrations. You could take the black and white versions of those illustrations and offer them up as coloring sheets. Okay, Just go ahead and put your maybe your URL at the bottom of each of those pages and it's a coloring sheet. Make it a, a PDF and tell people, hey, you could get 10 coloring sheets for free just give me your email address and I'll give them right to you. Mm -hmm. 
that has an added benefit of getting that person and their child to interact further with your brand because it's your characters, it's your story, and that's content you already have if you've already written a children's book. But you want an ethical bribe to get them to give you uh, their email address and once they're on your email list you can now build that relationship and tell them about each of your subsequent books. Yeah, that's a fantastic tip. I actually use the coloring sheet thing as my <laughs> my oh, bribe awesome, as well. So, awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Um, you know, some other ones I've seen that that seem like good options as well and don't necessarily require a whole lot of additional work is doing sort of an an audio book version of your book where you as the author read your book and maybe you put a little bit of music behind it or something like that but um you know audio versions or the author reading it on camera or just things like that that the kids might be interested in um because i know one of my kids favorite series is the skippy john jones series oh yeah and all of the books come with a cd of the author reading it and they insist on wow (laughs) look at that listening to them over and over again (laughs) you know the whole thing's like 10 minutes long so on the way to school i get to hear it twice but uh (laughs) do it again do it again (laughs) yeah but you know that's such an easy um value add that you can give to people and and you know, in addition to to what you were mentioning with advertising it or or posting a link to it, you can even include um, links to those freebies inside of your books, yes. um, so that yes. once you've released your book, you say, "Hey, if you and your kids love the book, go here to get your free gift and you know the audio version or the coloring book version or whatever it might be." Um, and so, yeah, I, I've started doing that with my books, and um, it's definitely a really easy, great value add because I just have my illustrator provide me with the black and white versions at the same time as awesome. the color versions and so awesome. yeah it's it's really easy and nice awesome awesome that's great yeah um what kind of stuff would you mail to your mailing list like what do you think is an effective use of of the mailing list once you've started getting people on it mm-hmm. oh yeah i love that question bo um i've learned a lot more about email marketing in the past two or three years than I knew prior to that and I studied marketing in business school yeah they they didn't really get into the intricacies there are only so many so much you can learn from books when you're on the front lines actually (laughs) sending out emails and getting responses you really learn a lot from that one of the things that I learned early on I was very uh, gun shy when it came to actually sending out emails I didn't want to send too frequently. I was really, really sensitive to anyone at all unsubscribing from my list. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was painful. It was like a rejection, like a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Anytime somebody unsubscribed from my list. But I realized after a while, kind of developed a thicker skin, and this might be something that you can't really just do until you go through it yourself. But I realized that it, it's okay to mail frequently as long as you're adding value each time. Folks aren't going to read every single one of your messages. They also aren't going to unsubscribe unless you're sending them stuff that they feel doesn't pertain to them. And you know what? Not everyone is your customer avatar. This is why we have a customer avatar. We don't want to attract everyone as a customer. Otherwise, just imagine the mental stress of trying to be uh, all things to all people. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. You are the perfect author. And this, get, this gets back to what you were talking about with Skippy John Jones, how your kids love that particular book series. You are the perfect author for somebody's kid. Yeah. For a whole bunch of people's kid. And kids really don't care who's popular. At least the younger ones. When they get to preteens, it's a different story. But, <laughs> you know, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. They know what they like. They don't really care about who is number one on Amazon or who's <laughs> yeah. number a thousand. Right. If they like your, if they connect with your book, they're gonna want to buy all your books. So your task is simply to convince their mom or dad to get get your book and give your book a shot. And there's some kids that will like it, and for some kids they won't connect. So in terms of what to send people on your mailing list, what I like to start out with for the first maybe seven emails is getting to know emails letting people get to know me. Why is that important? Well, that's important because I want to differentiate myself from the thousand other authors, right? Those other folks are lovely, but I'm the best me there is. (laughs) No one else could do me like I do me. The thing is, when you first get onto my list, you don't necessarily know that much about me. 
you might have read one of my books, you might have gotten one of my coloring sheets, but you don't know my backstory. You don't know that my father was a storyteller, right? You don't know that he grew up in a village and that in college he was so poor he couldn't take my mom on dates. But he was a storyteller. And so he wrote plays. He sold them to local radio stations. And when those plays were read on the air, the money that he got from the radio stations, he used that to take my mom out on dates. Come to find out my mom was a simple gal and didn't need to be taken out on fancy dates anyway. But that's part of my backstory, right? Nobody else has that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so sharing those little personal anecdotes in the first few emails now allows you to feel like you know me. After I've done that, what I try to do is I try to get into a regular schedule during the week. So let's say I want to send three emails in the week. Now, I might send one email that solves a problem for parents like Bo and myself. Like Bo talked about the challenge of having your kid come into your bed at nighttime <laughs> or your, your kid having the grumblies. Well, it's not so hard, particularly because we're parents, to find one quick anecdote that could help somebody else. So with the grumblies, for example, maybe there's a funny song that you and your kid make up in the first thing in the morning, and you sing that song, and there's a little funny dance to it, and you, know, you get goofy with it, and it makes your kid giggle, and once he or she giggles, okay, it's harder for them to, be, to grumble when they do that. <laughs> right. Very simple thing, but if you put that in an email, and somebody tries it and it works, Oh, forget about it. You, you got a customer for life. <laughs> They're always going to remember you as the person who got rid of the grumblies, right? So I might share a quick tip in one email. I try to have an email template that always lists my books. So whenever they do want to buy, they can click, but I don't make a hard sell. Mm -hmm. I just list my books on the side. Um, and then I also try to have a link at the bottom of every email just to get them in the habit of taking an action clicking something in my emails so maybe I'll give them one tip in the email and then I'll say I have two more tips click here to see them and they get sent to a blog post um, so giving value to your customer since you have a customer avatar you know what their problems are give value once a week uh, maybe explicitly ask or offer a sale once a week so you might say hey Balaji here hope you're having an awesome Monday I don't know if you picked up Hero Academy yet Here's a testimonial of what one person said about it. Mm -hmm. If you haven't gotten it yet, click here. Yeah. Done. And then in one email, you could actually ask for a review or a testimonial. I think that's important because maybe 1% of people that read books actually leave testimonials or reviews. Mm -hmm. Even though many more people enjoy the book, they just don't have that habit yep. of uh, going onto Amazon, logging in, finding out where to click. So if you actually ask them for a review and if you told them why it was important, if you told them these reviews really helped me out, they help more moms and dads like you find my books and they help me to write more books, they're going to want to help you. Mm -hmm. So those are a few things that, sh that you could do in your email um, autoresponder. Uh, I encourage you to send these or to write these as follow-up emails, which means you write them once and then you schedule them so that anyone who subsequently gets into your email list will get those emails in sequence, right? Yep. If you write them as broadcast emails, that means you, you only send them out once to whomever is on your list. And a week from now, if somebody joins your list, they don't get that email anymore. So you want to do follow-up emails, and you want to ask for testimonials, ask for the sale, and then always offer value. Yeah, that's a fantastic tip. And, and I, I think that's a great example of something that most uh, – of the thousand authors out there uh, that are putting out books all the time, they, they don't do that kind of stuff. They just hope that people will, you know, find them and become a fan for life and buy all their stuff. And you don't want to leave that to chance because customers, you know, for one thing, customers are, um, like you said, they, they don't take action a lot of the time. It's going to be a tiny percentage that actually take the time to review or keep track of you know your next book and are waiting for your next book to come out that's going to be a really small percentage um and you know in this way you get the opportunity also to kind of bypass how amazon doesn't give you the customer information <laughs> right and you then get to own that customer list you know and say well i'm gonna you know i'm gonna have some control over the people i can contact that's right. so that's right bo i wanted to mention something something you said just jogged a point in my mind and that was that most of the 99 other authors out there aren't doing these sort of things to build a relationship with the reader well if you look at someone like uh, JK Rowling 
or Stephen King or uh, James Patterson, any of these really big authors, they're not doing that stuff either. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody already knows who they are. Millions of dollars were spent to get their names out there in the first place and build that brand. We also can sit back and coast once we get to that level. But the problem is, unless you have a million-dollar budget, you're not going to get to that level unless you do build that relationship with the customer. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to point out that we might be looking at authors we admire and not seeing them uh, do this sort of relationship building and all that sort of stuff. It's because they're already at the top of the mountain, and so they don't have to. It, the the air is a lot nicer up there. They don't have to <laughs> climb as hard as we do at the bottom of the mountain. Yeah, that's so true. And you know, I think even just the way that um, that traditional published authors can can interact with people like I was thinking about how um, with the lady that writes Skippy John the Skippy John Jones series she came and did a book to was doing a book tour and came to uh, Boulder near where I live and so I took my kids she signed their book and stuff and I mean oh, wow. yeah and, and so that obviously is going to have a huge impact on them and yeah. and they love it but for most authors you can't do a book tour <laughs> you know um, especially for self-published or independent authors a book tour is not an option. However, you can blog or you can, uh, you know, maintain a social media presence and I think get the same effect um, in a lot of cases um, without having to go and do this big budget type stuff. You just have to be willing to put in the work and hustle more than somebody who has a, a big traditional publisher and a big budget behind them. Right, right. And you know, the word hustle really uh, is an important one uh, to me as an entrepreneur because when I first started out as an entrepreneur, I really had that hustle drive. You know, ever since I was in college, I was doing web design for uh, uh, SGA candidates, Student Government Association, and I, I always had a side hustle. You know, I, I've always been used to working hard. But as I matured as an entrepreneur, I realized through lots of trial and error that working harder didn't always get me to the result I wanted. I needed to have a healthy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of my wife as I say this and the fact that she, she would always tell me you're working too much. I need to have a healthy balance between working hard and working smart. Mm -hmm. For us authors, we, we should have that hard work ethic but we, sh we may also want to adopt a long-term view if we figure if we say that we want to write our first book and sell thousands and thousands of copies and make lots and lots of money, we might be disappointed, and that might discourage us from writing that second book. If, on the other hand, we have a long-term view and we say, "Look, I'm an author. I was born an author. All writing is in my genes, and this is a lifetime goal for me to be successful as an author." It allows us to be a bit more patient, so that we don't always have to hustle, you know, lose sleep and neglect our kids. I've gone through all those phases. Right. <laughs> Trust me, you know, th thinking that, okay, I just need to work hard and hard and hard now. I'm doing this for the family. Once I'm making the money and all that, I can spend time with the kids. It never really works out very well. You become a workaholic, you know, and <laughs> you, know, you grow up and your kids don't know who, who you are. And we don't want that. None of us want that. So we have to have a healthy balance. If you have a long-term view, you can do the things that are smart. Do them consistently. You know, let's say you don't have a mailing list today. Uh, set it as your monthly, the goal for the month, to set up a mailing list and have something free to offer to people that opt in. Mm -hmm. Do that for the month while you're still doing your writing because you're a writer first. Um, so if you can do that this month, next month, now tell yourself, okay, I need to figure out my customer avatar and figure out the where the audiences are that I want to get in front of. Let me make a list. Just do that for next month. The month after that, maybe you say, now let me reach out to those people and start asking for interviews. So that feels like it's taking a long time, but imagine where you'll be a year from now if every month you take one very small but intentional um, action and you just build upon that. So I just wanted to share that with folks. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic tip. I think you're absolutely right. And um, Yeah, if you are trying to do everything all the time, you're usually going to end up just doing kind of tactics or just yeah. checking things off of a to-do list but not actually doing things that are going to move your business forward um, in the long term and, and that are really going to have the, the big impact, even if they don't have a, a huge impact right away, but they're things that need to be set up systematically so that you can keep building on it. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Um, 
we've talked a lot about hacking. Are there anything uh, outside of what we've already talked about, maybe two or three hacks that you would recommend having been doing this for a while that, that you think make a big impact, or even if it's things we've talked about, but what you think would would be that 80-20 kind of thing mm. that, that would do a lot for authors? Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about customer avatars. Mm-hmm. We talked about list building. Uh, we talked about... Uh, launching your book, doing a pre-selling, those are all really good tactics. Um, we could talk about the brand a little bit. Yeah, um, I did want to ask you about that. A brand and kind of having a series and all that kind of mm, stuff. Is that something? That... Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the, your Skippy John Jones story is a perfect example. You know, the author of Skippy John Jones could have written the perfect children's book, and your kids, you know, may have just loved it to death. But like you said, they got through it in ten minutes, <laughs> and then they wanted the next book and mind you they didn't want the next book from that author that was totally unrelated they wanted the next skippy john jones book mm-hmm. so when we write in a series it's almost like having a long-term relationship with someone versus going out on one date you don't want to go out on one date have a great time and then never meet that person again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know you're yeah. creating wonderful characters for these children they love your characters so Allow these characters to grow and put them in different situations and scenarios, um, same characters for these same children because these children have already accepted those characters into their home. So now those characters can just grow and be and live in that home. You don't have to go through the hard work of convincing them to try Mm. this book series. So book series is a super, super great hack. If you have to write five books, don't write five unrelated books. <laughs> write five books in a series or you know, make two series and, and see which one kind of catches on. Yeah, it's funny you say that. That's the one thing I have not done up to this point, and, and I've been meaning to. And um, I, I have a, a standalone book right now called Natasha the Ninja Princess, and yeah, yeah. I need to turn it into a series. And I've been planning to since the beginning, but instead I went and wrote different books, and I'm already kind of kicking myself. Like, <laughs> I should have just stuck with that one and written three books in that series and had them done. Because it, it seems like they're, you know, outside of even what you talked about, which is, is a really good point that you don't have to kind of resell people on an idea. Um, you can do interesting things with bundling and pricing and uh, yeah. kind of introducing people to a series at a, a low price point or even for free. I mean, that's one thing I know some of my author friends have done really effectively is they have a series that's five or six books or whatever, and they make the first book in it free permanently just to get people to download it and check it out in the hopes that they'll like it and end up buying the rest of them. So, yeah, the series is a, a great point. I, I think you're absolutely right that that's one of the best things you can do to to really uh, boost your sales long term. Mm, that's a great, great tip. And, you know, I started the same way you did, Bo. My first three books were unrelated. I wrote a book called uh, That Dragon Stole My Horse, mm-hmm. and it was a book about bullying and then my second book was called Gloomyville, and it was a boy who grew up in a town where nobody was happy, and he learned how to turn that around. And then I wrote a book called, I think, uh, The Super Z Formula was my third one, and that was a superhero book. And with that third book, I started to make a book series. So it's never too late to start to do a book series. But the fun thing about doing a book series is that you could actually sort of think up the scenarios ahead of time mm-hmm. and it helps take care of writer's block a little bit because you don't have to go through creating the character which can be a big part of the process you could say take Natasha and you could say okay what kind of interesting scenarios might I want to put her in you might look at stuff that your kids have gone through or you might do some research on Amazon and see what's popular uh, and pick some of those scenarios. So it's, re- it's really fun, actually, when you start getting into creating uh, a series with an existing character. I actually think it's okay to uh, start out creating a few disparate books because you don't know which characters will really take off. Mm-hmm. Um, having put out, uh, published six books, uh, the one that I thought would be most popular wasn't the one <laughs> that ended up being most popular. One of them just resonated and, and was making sales um, without me putting as much effort into it. So I think it's okay to do some research up front, and maybe when you see what people like, then you can do more of the same. Um, Something else that I wanted to mention about branding is you could actually be a bit intentional about your brand. Um, As I mentioned, 
I sort of like the superhero and fantasy fiction genre, so I started out there. I also knew that I was passionate about bullying or anti-bullying because, you know, I grew up a little short, like l- literally a little kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> me, me too, now actually. A, That's funny. Now yeah. I'm a little man. I'm still, still, I, I'm still drinking milk like crazy, hoping you know, I can grow like one, one or two more inches, but no dice. You know, so... Uh, I was actually fortunate to not be bullied a lot. I had only a couple of instances of being bullied in second grade. You know, it's kind of embarrassing, but my wife has been in more fights than I have. <laughs> That's between you and me. <laughs> she, and all the listeners now. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> She's small as well. And some girl, I think it was, uh, she was in 10th grade. And some girl asked her what grade she was in. She said 10th grade. And the girl said, no, you're not. And the girl uh, attacked her because <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. yeah what it's crazy but, but my wife is very feisty and you know she gives as good as she she gets so that was her fight <laughs> i i haven't been in a fight so it's kind of embarrassing but regardless <laughs> i'm still an advocate for anti-bullying and so i decided to shape my brand around that and the benefit of doing that is that when i go on podcasts and i guest blog and even when i write my books there's always going to be an element of an underdog uh, you know, an uh, up from nothing kid who who uh, is an outcast and then ends up, you know, winning at the end of the story. So that's not going to be. It's not going to be for all kids or for all parents. But for the kids who might be shy or have low self-esteem or get picked on, they will want to buy all of my books because mm-hmm. I'm the anti-bullying guy. So also, you could be the ninja guy, or you could be the person that teaches ABCs. Or teaches manners, please and thank you. That's really big. You know, kids aren't born knowing manners. We have to teach them. Right. Um, so there's so many things, so many wonderful things that we could teach kids. I have a friend who uh, has a series on fart books, <laughs> and all his books <laughs> are based on farting, and they're for little boys. And boys think farts are hilarious. You know, um, I personally could not build a brand around that. Right. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, me neither. <laughs> I've noticed that too, that they're hugely popular on Amazon. They're very but, popular. Yeah, can't but do that's, it. But that's a, that's a benefit of a brand. If you don't have somebody that, that you're isolating with your brands, your brand probably is not focused enough. Hmm. You want to be able to have people say, yeah, nah, that's not for me. Because if they're saying, no, that's not for me, that means somebody else is saying, ooh, I really love that series. Yeah. So in terms of creating your brand, you know, just kind of be uh, intentional about what you want to communicate and what you'll be um, happy to write about 20 books from now, mm-hmm. right? And, and you, your brand can be kind of broad and you can kind of go deep into it book by book or series by series. Yeah, oh, that's a great point. Um, how, much, how important do you think it is to keep uh, visual continuity in your brand i mean you know I, I have one illustrator i've worked with on everything so far you have two that you've mostly worked with do you feel like once an audience kind of sees what what your books look like they're going to expect that they have to look like that from now on or could you switch it up do you think you know that's a really funny question because my wife watches a couple of soap operas um Young and the Restless is, I think, the one that she's been addicted to since uh, college. <laughs> and recently, I, you know, I'm always in the background. I, I always talk about her when she's watching these things because the stories are so outlandish. But let me not lie. You know, I'll be in the background and I'll be kind of watching with one eye like, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was this scene a few days ago where they up and changed a character completely. Mm. A different person came in to play the same guy that's played the, the role for years. And my wife is happily watching this soap opera like nothing's happened. And I'm like, um, hello, excuse me, that's not Billy. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, yeah, I know, they do that every now and then. And that this guy actually played Billy like 15 years ago. The, the continuity in soap operas is ridiculous. He played it 15 years ago. He left for a while, for about five years. Now he's back. Um, so that was a reminder of how jarring a lack of um, visual continuity can be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we do have to realize this is something that I do think about because my artist is not going to be with me forever as much as I would love that. It's not a lifetime position. So at some point in the future, um, I may be working with a new artist or set of artists. If, If you've had a pretty good established history with one artist, hopefully they've defined a look that another talented artist can mimic. They're not going to be able to get it 
looking exactly the same. Mm -hmm. But if they can be somewhat similar, if you can sort of interview enough people to where you find somebody who has a similar style, I think that at the end of the day, the story and the relationship that kids have with your characters will overcome any slight changes in the actual visuals. Yeah, yeah, I agree too. I think, um, you know, people want it to look similar, but it doesn't have to be exactly the same, or you could always do kind of a spin off and take on a different character and have a new author work on a different character or something. So, great. Well, before we wrap up, uh, where can people find out more about you, sign up to your mailing list if they want to, and, and check out your books? What's the best place to, for people to get connected with you? Yeah, certainly. You can find me at my blog. It's Brave littleheroes.com that's three words brave littleheroes.com and i have some free goodies on there uh, for folks who might want to opt into the list and check it out you'll also get to see um, you know not just as customers to buy my books but even more so as children's authors you'll get to see how i organize my emails my email template you'll see some of the marketing things that i'm doing and you're very welcome to borrow and use as your own any of the methods that I'm using because one of the wonderful things about having a brand and a customer avatar is that we can actually collaborate as authors children's authors mm -hmm. but we're not actually competing if each of us has a lane that's well defined now if we approach it as you know all children will be mine <laughs> <laughs> you want every single child in the world to be just your customer then you know everybody every other author might look like competition but you know if I'm the anti-bullying guy you know you might write about something else and we can collaborate and help each other out so yeah find me on bravelittleheroes.com that's my hub and let me know how I can help you out if you're watching this video you've already found Bo so you are in amazing, amazing hands. You can have a better advocate and a helper along this journey for becoming a successful children's author. So stay close to this guy. I have a feeling his signature is going to be worth a lot of money in a few years. Oh, I need some signed copies of your books, man. Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get them to you. We you know what? I actually heard from another author recently that there's a way to sign uh, digital books on Amazon hmm. for people who want to sign copy of your book. Um, I think it gets delivered as a PDF or something. So I don't know how to do that yet, but I'll tell you what, if I can find that out, maybe we can list that as a resource yeah, under this be cool. because, because I want to get signed copies of, of your books, Bo. I think that would be pretty awesome. All right, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I mean, you shared so much awesome information and for anybody that's out there listening or watching, if you do even half of what we talked about on here today, you're going to be miles ahead of most of the authors out there and um you know it's the kind of thing that you can like i said really take your own destiny into your own hands and um and make yourself more successful by by putting in that work and and working smarter and not harder so thank you all for watching thanks again balaji for being here it's been great having you and i can't wait to talk to you again soon it's been a pleasure bo chat soon thanks bye hi bo here i just wanted to say thanks again for listening to the show if you're enjoying it and finding it useful, please do me a quick favor and subscribe on iTunes or leave a review by going to letsmakekidsbooks.com slash iTunes or just share it with your author friends. To make sure you don't miss anything, including future episodes of the show, visit letsmakekidsbooks.com slash subscribe and enter your email to get all of my blog and podcast updates as well as my free guide to finding a fantastic, inexpensive illustrator for your next book. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.